My name's Jordan Howell, I'm on staff if we haven't met. Uh, do me a favor, come see me afterwards and introduce yourself, because I want to get to know you. You're not just a number here, you're a part of the family, and as someone that's also a part of the family, I want to know my family. So come see me afterwards if we haven't met. Uh, we're finishing up part three of our foundation series, three pillars that we here at Salt Company build our ministry and build our life upon. So I'm going to catch you up if you haven't caught the first two weeks. Week one, I talked about the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's word, and we believe that it gives us life. We actually get to know God and live in a way that supports our flourishing when we look to Scripture to shape our life. Week two, last week, Kyler talked through community. We believe that as we actually are secure in who Jesus says we are, who he has made us to be, that we are bound to be a part of healthy community. That as we look around, we're actually bound to practice authenticity or practicing care. We actually care about people, and we have an incredible amount of compassion. And that comes from who Jesus says we are. And so we're finishing up this series. Today we're going to talk about the word mission. Okay, mission. What comes to mind when you hear the word mission? I don't know. For me, what comes to mind as a former uh, insurance man who worked in business, I think of a mission statement. Okay, a mission statement. And here's the definition. A mission statement is a single sentence or a short paragraph, paragraph that is used by a company to explain its existence. Secondary definition, a brief description of an entity's fundamental purpose. So we're going to do a little activity, okay? If you're a note taker, if you are writing notes, start writing notes. If you just have your phone, I want you to pull your phone out and go to the notes section. Okay, you have 30 seconds right now. Here is your goal. What is your personal mission statement? What is your personal mission statement? You have 30 seconds. I'm watching the clock. And you're taken from my teaching time, so you better use it wisely. 30 seconds. What is your personal mission statement? It explains your existence. It gives a description of your fundamental purpose. What's your mission statement? Three, two, one. Okay. What did you write? I don't know. If you're anything like me, you probably struggled through that. Anybody else? Anybody struggle to write down, this is what my mission statement is? Oh, the rest of you just got it figured out, don't you? Yeah. You're 18 to 22 years old, and you know everything about life. I'm proud of you. Okay. Um, it's actually really important. I know you're not as confident as you say you are. Um, if you haven't asked yourself this question before or you're not asking it yourself consistently, what is my purpose? I think you need to start asking yourself. Because I started asking myself in college, like, why am I here? Why am I at Iowa State University? Why am I going to school for this degree? And beyond that, why do I even exist? I started to ask these questions in college and it's important because a mission statement for a business actually drives the company's values, what they value, their decisions, what they actually do, and their vision, where they're going for their future. So our mission statement motivates what we value, what we do, and where we want to go. And our idea of success comes with whether or not we have lived out this mission statement. So what's your idea of success? 30 years from now, as you look at your mission statement, 
what actually defines your success? I think there's two different types of people in the room. The first oozes with purpose, right? You're going to nursing school, and guess what? You are going to change the world because you're a nurse. That's what nurses do. They change the world. Or maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum, and you're like, I'm a go-with-the-flow type of person. I don't even know what my purpose is. I kind of just wake up, eat a piece of toast, go to Kirkwood, hope that I graduate debt-free. Yeah, that's a shot fired at Kirkwood. What up? It's okay. We still love you. Um, and I'm not saying just because you go to Kirkwood, you lack purpose. Okay, give me grace. Give me grace. Um, I'm just saying I need, to, I need to earn my way back here. Okay, you're either passionate about everything you do or you're a go-with-the-flow type person. And what I want you to know, if you lack purpose and you're a go-with-the-flow type person, I want you to know that you actually have purpose. And you're even here tonight on purpose and with purpose, whether you think it or not. And if you're oozing with purpose and you're someone that says, man, everything I do I'm passionate about and I'm going to change the world, I want you to know that your purpose is much greater than you could even imagine. So even something that you wrote down I am confident to say that you probably sold yourself short on what your mission, what your purpose in life is. So that's what we're looking at tonight, our purpose. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. You can go there. Otherwise, we're going to have it up on the screen. Uh, this book is written by a guy named Paul. Okay? Paul was uh, a church planter. He was a missionary. And he actually established this church in Corinth. But there's a problem here. The people of Corinth, the Corinthians, they actually looked at Paul's leadership and they questioned it because Paul really wasn't that impressive of a guy, okay? He was poor, he was persecuted, and he was not well-spoken. Even in his presentation, they're just like, dude, you're hard to follow. I don't know. I don't know if we should trust you because there were people surrounding them that were wealthy, they were well-off, and they were well-spoken. So they started following these other leaders. And what Paul is trying to say in 2 Corinthians 5 is, you can follow my leadership because my leadership looks a lot like Jesus' leadership. It's characterized by suffering. It's characterized by being an unlikely candidate to be a messenger of truth. And so he's building his case in the first several chapters of 2 Corinthians to say, this is how you can trust my ministry. I'm following Jesus, and some of Jesus' sufferings are present in my life. And he starts to turn a corner in 2 Corinthians 5 and talk about his purpose. And from that, we actually get to learn some of our purpose as people who say yes to Jesus. And he spends the first 10 verses uh, talking about this idea of life is temporary, Okay, if you're a note taker, you can write that down. Life is temporary. If you're a gal, you are destined to live, Lord willing, 80 years. If you're a dude, subtract five because you're dumb. <laughs> All the ladies say, yeah. amen. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so Lord willing, you have 75 to 80 years to live. And then something's going to happen. Verse 10 says, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We are all going to die. Everybody in this room, we're all going to die. And we're all going to stand before God and we're going to be judged. And I think part of this should actually create an unrest in us to say, if I'm going to stand before God and he's going to judge me based upon what I've done, 
I need to figure out if I'm living out my purpose. Because we're going to be judged upon whether or not we have lived out our purpose. What is our success at the end of life? What is God going to say to us when we die? So, we're going to be in verses 11 through 21. I'm going to read through it, and I'm going to unpack the best news on the face of the earth for you. You guys good with that? Let's go. Okay, verse 11. Therefore, because we're all going to die and we're all going to face the judgment of Christ, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. For what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer to those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is step one of your purpose. You were made to live for God. You were made to live for God. If you crack open your Bible to page one, you are going to find out that God created us to live with him, to follow him, to have an intimate relationship with him. However, something went terribly wrong. We did not desire to live a life of perfect obedience to God. We wanted to become God. We wanted to take matters into our own hands. And as our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, did, they took and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one thing God told them not to do, they went and did it. And so as a result, they and us are defined by this word, sin. Okay, we have missed the mark. That's what the word sin means, to miss the mark. God has a holy and perfect standard, and we have willfully said, no thank you. So there's an element where we're sinners by nature because Adam and Eve sinned. Anybody ever hung around like a one-year-old before? Do you have to teach them how to sin? No, okay? I have a one-year-old. He got kicked out of daycare this year for biting a kid's neck. <laughs> yeah, straight up. He bit a kid's neck, and when I went to pick him up, the daycare director said, hey, I just want you to know another kid had a block. Your child went to grab the block. Kid pulled it back. So your kid bit the neck of this child and pulled back and she said, I heard a snap. I'm like, oh Lord. <laughs> um, 
So I say all of that to say, you don't have to teach a kid how to sin. You didn't have to be taught how to sin. You are a sinner. And also, we choose sin. God gives us clear commands such as don't be greedy, don't complain, don't gossip, don't lust, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, forgive one another, serve one another, pray for one another. And we say, no thanks. I don't want to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to do it my way. We choose to follow ourselves rather than God. This is called sin. And the Bible tells me, tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody in this room is perfect. Anybody in here ever not made a mistake in your entire life? Esther, I know you're lying, girl. I'm going to call you out. You raise your hand. You're asking for it. Okay, we all missed the mark, and God would say this. I am a just God, and what I'm going to do to enact justice is if you have created an offense, I am going to enact justice on your offense. And so what God actually requires of us is death. He requires death. And the only way that we can escape said death, separation from God, not just a physical death, but a separation from God, is to live a perfect life and to die, a physical death. And because we cannot live a perfect life, guess what? God himself puts on flesh. Okay, the God of the universe steps off the throne of heaven and says, I'm going to become a baby in a manger. This is so much more than a Christmas carol, okay? He is born in a feeding trough. He is a carpenter. He lives a lowly life. He is homeless. He is persecuted. And all that entire time, he never makes a mistake. And God says that he sent his one only son to fulfill this purpose, to seek and save the lost. You and me, we were far off. We were enemies of God. We wanted nothing to do with him. So Jesus says, I know you can't live the perfect life. How about I do that for you? I know that you deserve death. How about I do that? And Jesus embraces the cross, a, a gruesome physical death. And beyond that, he takes on the wrath of God. The justice of God that is poured out for sin is poured out on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our passage here in verse 21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. That means he literally took on your sin and my sin. Jesus on the cross says, I am going to identify myself with your sin as an enemy. But that's not all. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, we are becoming the righteousness of God. This is not saying they became partakers of the righteousness of God or they had the righteousness of God. They have become the righteousness of God. So now when God looks at you, when you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, I don't see your sin. I see the perfect righteousness of God. That is who you are. That's amazing. And from our passage, we see all this is from God. Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We are a new creation. 
You are not a better version of your old self. Jesus has made you new. The old is dead and gone. The new has come. And as a result, verse 14 says, the love of Christ controls us. For we have concluded that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live would not live for themselves, but live for who? Jesus. You were made to live for God. Jesus came to seek and save your soul, but he came to do so much more than that. Being saved is enough, isn't it? To be saved from your sin, is that not enough for you? It is for a guy like me. But beyond that, Jesus does not just save you, he sends you. You were not just made to live for God, you were made to make the gospel known. We see verse 16. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Guess what? When you come to recognize that we all are created in the image of God, we all live forever, we all have an eternal destiny, we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you can't help but look out and see everybody as an eternal being. You can't just look at them and say, oh yeah, they're just a mortal being who's going to live 75 years and decay into dirt. You cannot do that. And our passage says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He saved us and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, and therefore we implore you, be reconciled to God. That is amazing. That Jesus would not just save you, but that he would send you, and he would say, get this, you are my ambassador. And we don't use that term a ton. I don't know the last time you used the word ambassador in your life. Here's what it means. You are both a representative and a messenger. So when you go on your campus, you go into your workplace, you go home, you go to your apartment, you represent Jesus, and you speak on behalf of the king. That when Jesus would send his disciples out after his resurrection, he would say, all authority on heaven and earth is mine, and I give it to you. Therefore, go and make disciples. I'm with you always. My authority is given to you. My power is given to you. And Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who hear. Therefore, all the way up at the beginning of our passage, we see this. We persuade others. We persuade others. We plead with others, be reconciled to God. This is what an ambassador would oftentimes do. They would go to a foreign land on behalf of the king. They would say, we are coming to trample you under our feet. You can, you can plea, okay? You can back out. You can plead a term of surrender and say yes right now. That's what we get to do. We get to go to people and we get to say, be reconciled to God. And I know this about your generation. You are full of passion and purpose, okay? I look at data frequently because I'm a numbers nerd. Gen Z, 76% of Gen Z think you are the generation that's going to change the world. 
And I've spent enough time around you to actually begin to say, maybe, <laughs> honestly. You're taking matters into your own hands. But one thing is unique about this. Gen Z is noted as the activism generation. You're likely to protest. You're likely to want to make policy changes. You want reform. And guess what? Oftentimes for you, that means taking your career path and saying, I am going to use my career to impact the world. That's amazing. Gen Z is the most likely generation to sacrifice a pay increase for a job that has purpose. That's commendable. But what I look at are two main issues that have been hot topic and continue to be hot topic. Racial reconciliation and the sanctity of life. Okay, I'm going to park here for just a minute. Racial reconciliation, the goal today is end racism. Commendable goal. I love that. I think racism must not exist in the church. Can I get an amen to that? Please. Okay. Racism must not exist in the church, but here's the reality. Racism has existed from eternity past. Like, since sin enters the world, it's a human condition to say, oh, I am prone to actually not like everybody that's around me, and it's especially hard to like people that are different than me. And I'm not here to say that that's okay. I'm here to say all of the reform, all of the policies, defunding the police, changing laws, that cannot solve the racism issue, okay? Because that is a heart issue. And with the sanctity of life, I think about women's rights, protecting the unborn, how much education or policy change is going to be needed in order for men and women to cherish each other's bodies, to have healthy sexual relationships, and to say the unborn are alive. There is no amount of policy, education, or reform that can do that. It's a heart issue. And as I've thought about this, I said, this is like trying to solve heart disease by giving someone a haircut. Straight up. Like, you have heart disease, and I'm going to give you a haircut so you look better. It's not solving the issue. You still have heart disease. And with that, I'm here to tell you, I love that you want to make a difference in the world, but you're missing something. You don't just get to change policy. You get to speak the gospel and change people's hearts and change their lives. That you would get to say, Jesus came, he lived, he died in your place to make you a new creation and you can be reconciled unto God. And in a moment, in a moment, this person's life would change drastically. It's this gospel that has turned a religious terrorist into a missionary. That's who Paul is. That's who our author of 2 Corinthians 5 is. This dude used to kill Christians and now he's a church planter. And he's living for Jesus. This gospel message took a dude like me who wanted nothing to do with the kingdom of God. All I wanted was money, pleasure. I was chasing a paycheck. I was chasing popularity. And then he grips a guy like me, my junior year of college, and he says, no, 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 no. You're missing it. You can actually live for me. And you don't just have to make money. You can make a difference by speaking the gospel into people's lives and seeing them go from death to life. What do you think about that? That captivated me. 
It's part of why I'm here today, because I want to talk to you as a college student and let you know that you can be reconciled to God and forego all the pain that I went through in trying to find purpose in all these other areas. You were made to live for God and make the gospel known. That's the, that's the point. There's your mission statement. Live for God and make the gospel known. And there's three practical applications for you, okay? We're going to call them look up, look in, look out. Look up. Have you personally been reconciled unto God? Have you taken this message of reconciliation and said, Jesus, I trust in you alone. When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the only way that I'm going to be able to answer God is to say, Jesus stood in my place. My righteousness is not from me, it's from him. And I've put my hope and my trust in the finished work of Christ. Look up. Be reconciled to God. And from that place, if you've already said yes to Jesus, look in. Remind yourself of the gospel. Say, this is what's true of me. Every morning, wake up. Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Remind yourself, I was far off. I was an enemy. I was born for the wrath of God. But God, rich in mercy, lavished his grace upon me. By grace, through faith, I have been saved. It's not of my own doing. It's the free gift of Jesus Christ. I can't boast. But I'm God's handiwork. I'm created in his image to do good works, which he has prepared for me. Remind yourself of the gospel. And from that place, look out. 13,000 college students in Cedar Rapids Less than 2% of them are involved in a gospel preaching ministry. Look out at your campus and understand how many people have not been reconciled unto God. And from that place say, I am an ambassador. And the physical presence of Jesus Christ is not walking around your campus, but you are. You're an ambassador. Speak on behalf of the king. Plead with other people. Persuade people. Be reconciled to God. And as I think about what it looks like to live this out, I started thinking about college athletes. Less than 2% of college athletes end up doing athletics for their career, okay? You guys understand that. The reality is also, in this room, less than 2% of people will make preaching the gospel their career. I hope there's people in this room that you're prayerfully considering Am I supposed to be in vocational ministry? Am I supposed to uproot my life and move across the world to share the gospel because there are 30 million people dying each year that have never heard the gospel? Is God wanting me to be a part of that? I hope you prayerfully consider. But the reality is, the majority of us will not work a vocation that your primary role is to share the gospel. But that's not to say that's not your job's primary purpose. I think of my friend Lance in Cedar Falls. You guys don't know Lance, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, okay? He lives in Denver, Iowa, ordinary town. He has a wife and two kids, an ordinary family. He is a supervisor at a manufacturing company. He has a very ordinary job. And he's a former addict, okay? He was addicted to pornography, he was addicted to drugs, he was addicted to alcohol, and he came in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has baptized more people in his life than our entire salt staff combined. It does not require you standing on a stage 
to be an ambassador for Christ. My friend Lance, I texted him yesterday. I said, hey, I want to tell Salt Company about you. What do you think is worth sharing? And he, he said this. I've come to realize that my labor is never in vain. God has put me in a situation at work where I have a ton of influence for the kingdom with both leaders and employees. He has freed me from so much addiction to give credibility to a rough crowd that often finds themselves hopeless and without purpose. Guys struggling with pornography, alcohol, drugs, and mental health, my freedom from all of these forms of bondage has given me credibility and a voice to both the lost and the believer. All of this is done for God's glory and for his name's sake. Truly, I was lost and now I am found. Free indeed, my brother. And that message is on the tip of my tongue whenever an opportunity presents itself. That's what it looks like to live for the king. You can go into the ordinary places of life. You can live in the ordinary towns. And you can have extraordinary purpose as you speak this gospel message and watch people go from death to life in front of you. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you love us enough to not stand back and to be far off and to say, work your way to me. But you knew we couldn't and you sent Jesus to come, to live, to become sin, though he knew no sin, and in his death and resurrection to call us the righteousness of God. Jesus, that you would save us as gift enough, but that you would send us and allow us to be a part of your mission is amazing. <laughs> Give us eyes to see the people on our campuses that are not living for you. Allow our hearts to break. God, that these people don't even understand the primary joy and the primary purpose of life in you. And from that place, allow us to speak God, give us boldness to share the truth of the gospel, to be ambassadors and speak on behalf of the king, to plead for terms of surrender. And God, as we do that, I pray for more lances in this room, more people that can look at ordinary circumstances and say, I serve an extraordinary God and I have the best news in the world, and that they can speak the truth of the gospel and watch the dead come to life in front of their very eyes. We need you to move, though, God, to do that. We need your spirit to convict of sin and to call people out of their sin to live for you. Help us to worship you as we reflect upon our purpose. Help us to praise you as we reflect upon this message of reconciliation that has been entrusted to us. We pray in your name. Amen.